You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Our passage today is a long one, right? And part of it is because it contains one of Paul's speeches. You may have noticed as we've gone through the book of Acts that we've seen multiple people, uh, apostles typically, give long speeches. So it begins in Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit comes down and fire and wind rests upon the head of the disciples, Peter walks out and the, the disciples are all talking in languages that people are, think they're, they're babbling. And they said, uh, and Peter says, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. They, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. They haven't even had time yet to do that. But rather, God is fulfilling in your midst what he has promised for ages past. And now, finally, God is showing you through the words of these men, through the words of these men, what God is continuing to do here and now. So we saw that with Peter. We saw that with Stephen, when Stephen was martyred, the first martyr, uh, and as he was standing up and he was proclaiming what God has done, he sees heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, welcoming Stephen home as Stephen proclaims, you crucified Christ. And Stephen is stoned to death. We see several other speeches throughout the rest of the book of Acts, and we see uh, some significant sections where the apostles, the disciples, are given the opportunity to explain exactly what Jesus has done. And we see it in several different situations. So we see it with Peter when he's talking to Jews who have come from far away from from the dispersion, from outlying lands. They've returned back to Jerusalem for this festival, and Peter has the opportunity to talk to scattered Jews about everything that they've ever done, why they're even here at Pentecost, and how Jesus relates to it. We see Stephen talking to people who are, who are uh, not going to believe, if we can say it that way. We see Stephen talking, in other words, condemning words. And there's still words of life, but because those who hear them do not listen to them, do not obey them, do not take them to heart, they become words of condemnation. And so we see how Stephen, Stephen's words cause death for those who do not listen. But we see other speeches through the book of Acts as well. We see Paul when he talks to Jews, but we also see Paul when he talks to Greeks, to those in Athens, and he talks about the the unknown God, the one that you worship. You're very very religious people, and as I walked around the city, I've seen all of these different idols, but let me tell you, I know the God who you think is unknown, and he's not even far from you. You just have to look for him. And we see Paul as he talks to other people and presents other speeches. And here, in this lengthy passage, we get an opportunity to see one of Paul's speeches, not to Jews who don't believe yet, not to Jews who are going to continue to disbelieve, not to Greeks who are philosophizers, not to any of these other groups that we've already seen, but rather we get to see Paul's words to those who already trust, who already believe, who are already part of the church, and in fact, it seems that they are involved in ministry, hands-on and word, ministry in the church of Ephesus. But before we get there, 
Luke gives us a sidebar. If you're ever reading like a, like a book and there's like that, that quote on the side, or if you're reading a magazine and there's like that big block of, of text that's on the side, or, or you, you know what a sidebar is. It draws our attention away from the main thing, and we always, well, at least in the Bible, we always have to ask, why? Because nothing in the Bible is insignificant, Right? Uh, one of the Sunday school classes, they're working through Genesis, and they just came across uh, the story of Joseph. And those who were in there know that the story of Joseph is interrupted early on with some strange story. And we have to sort of make sense of how that fits together. Why does Luke draw our attention away from what seems to be the main point? What seems to be the purpose or the text, like the, the reason that he's writing this whole thing at all? is Paul's talking to these Ephesian elders, these people that he spent three years with, he's traveled around, and yeah, he stopped in this time for, in this city for, for a week, and let me tell you an event that happened in that week. Why did he tell us an event that happened in that week when he's left entire years unexplored and unexplained, undictated, untold of the amazing events that occurred? In fact, when we got to Ephesus, when we got to Washington, D.C. and New York, we saw that there were three events that didn't, or four events, really, that didn't even include Paul. And now, we're seeing that Luke wants to show us something that happened, and I argue, and I want you to believe me, but you can argue yourself, is that he gives us this sidebar so that we can properly understand what happens or what Paul is telling us in his speech. All right? Travel. Sidebar, travel, main point. But we won't under, we'll miss the main point. We'll get the wrong main point if we don't look at the first event, all right? So you may remember from last week that we were in Ephesus and there was this big uproar. There was a riot in the theater just down the street from the temple of Artemis and that Paul wanted to go and he wanted to talk to them. He wanted to proclaim the gospel, talk about Jesus to all of those who were, uh, who were, who were present there. And the, the, the Asiarchs, the ones who had sponsored Paul, said, no, you can't go in there. You'll probably die. Uh, and we can't let our public image be shamed by your presence in this riot. So don't go there, Paul. And they put forward a man named Alexander. And Alexander talked about, uh, talked about Jesus or was going to talk about Jesus. But when they saw he was a Jew, they, it became an ethnic battle. And they decided we're not going to let Alexander speak. We're not going to let Alexander talk to us because he's a Jew. And so the uproar just continued for about two hours until the town clerk settled everyone down and said, basically, go home. Paul had already intended, had already planned on leaving the city at that time, right? You remember he sent away a couple of his friends and he said, go prepare the way for me in Macedonia. And now Paul, after the riot, has not only... <laughs> Not only the desire, not only the intent, but he has the push of those who have sponsored him and have kept him safe in this city. Now he's too much of a liability and a risk. So Paul not only wants to go, now he has to go. In fact, probably Paul won't be allowed to return to Ephesus. So he leaves the city, and as it says, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, he'd given them much encouragement. He came to Greece. Now we're going to get through, we're going to get to a bunch of names. We're going to get to a bunch of place names. All right? 
I'm going to tell you a couple of tricks. We are, I already gave you one of them, right? Just say the first letter and move on. Um, another trick, another thing, speak confidently and nobody's going to know whether or not you said the name correctly, right? Um, that's another trick. A, a third trick here is some of this, like, it's translated from Greek into English, and we aren't even fully sure of the pronunciation of Greek words because the, because the language has changed over generations and generations, centuries and centuries. So say the wrong word, and who cares? Just move on. In fact, some of your Bibles probably use a Y instead of a U when I said militus. And you might be thinking, militus? It's militus. It doesn't matter. As long as you're reading, I mean, it would have mattered to those people, right? They would they would have corrected you on, on how to say it. But for our sake, it doesn't matter to understand how to pronounce those words. Just be okay. Just be okay reading and understanding that it might be Sopiter, it might be Sopiter, but it's not an English name anyway. So you're forgiven, all right? Here's the other thing to know as we make it through all of these names and through all of these places, these locations. For us, it might seem a little bit boring, right? Uh, as, a, as coming from California, I don't know if I call myself a Californian anymore, but coming from California, there was apparently a, an old SNL skit. I don't, I've, I don't really watch Saturday Night Live, um, but apparently there's this skit where the Californians come on and all they do is talk about freeways. Has anybody seen that? Okay, a couple people. A couple people have seen it. And all they do is talk about freeways, and they make fun of um, Californians and the way that they talk about freeways, and that they add the before everything. Oh, and it's not even freeways here. It's interstates, right? So there's these California. Am I right? Right? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, didn't, I, I just learned that. Like, in the past month, I, I had a memory. You know when you're laying in bed at night, and you think, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or, oh, and you're arguing with yourself? I had one of those a couple months ago, and I thought, that's what happened. It's interstate here. People don't say freeway. All right. There's this skit in SNL where everybody, all, all the Californians are talking about, I went on the 210 this to get to the 15, and then that took me over here to get to this place. And then I took Highway 80. We don't have a Highway 80 over there. We have a Highway 80 down to this place. And the joke is nobody else talks about how they got to where they got, Right? I mean, maybe we do a little bit here. Are you taking, are you taking 31 or are you taking 65? Um, but the, I mean, it is, anytime you go anywhere in California, uh, if you're a few minutes late or if they're a few minutes late, the question comes up, well, how did you get here? And I don't know why. It's just sort of a cultural thing. Well, how did you get here? What, what sort of traffic did you avoid or did you get through? Or how did you, how did you make your way around here? And it's just sort of a thing that happens. Right? So when we read that Paul left Ephesus and he was going to Macedonia and he went to all these other places, for us it might seem kind of boring because we don't even know those places. Right? It might be interesting if they were talking about places that we were familiar with, places that we knew, places that maybe we grew up in or that we have somebody who lived there and it's very unlikely that the person we know actually met the person that we are talking to, but you know, it could happen and it does sometimes, especially here in the South. But I want you to realize that for, for Greek or for the, for the world of Luke's day, talking about these locations is a little bit like talking about genealogies in, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. And when we get to genealogies, that too is kind of boring, right? 
But genealogies in the Old Testament serve a couple of purposes. One of them is it passes time pretty quickly, right? Like, oh, now that I know that these 60 people lived and died, I know that we're probably quite a few hundred years removed from the last event. So it offers a mental trigger for some time has passed. But here's another thing that it does for you with genealogies. If you were reading or hearing the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, read aloud, you saw your family name somewhere in that list. You had an ancestor somewhere in that list as the names were being read, and you could trace your heritage back to that moment or back to that person. You could say, I have a stake in this. All right? Now, when we move to the New Testament, we move to travel itineraries, they seem, again, kind of boring. Well, let me tell you a couple of things that they do. Imagine, imagine that you are, you're, you're hearing all these things, you're wondering where Paul is, you're wondering how long it's been. Now, just take a guess, how long has it been since the beginning of Acts? You don't have to say it out loud, you can if you want. Say, say in your mind, how long has it been since the beginning of Acts? years. We know that Paul was in Ephesus for three years. He was in Corinth for some amount of time, right? Well, just look at how many locations there have been, and that does provide some sort of scale. Well, if he's been to all of these different places, we know it can't really be, it can't really be less than 10 years, right? In fact, what if we said that Paul's been in ministry for somewhere between 20 and 30 years by this point in time? Well, that would make sense with all the locations that we've seen. So in one way, it passes time. It tells us places that Paul has gone to. In another way, second way, it teaches us of God's faithfulness. It teaches us of God's faithfulness. And this is a bit of foreshadowing, all right? Anybody who's ever read the book of Acts before, you know that some shipwrecks are coming, all right? But here and now, Paul has made it on boat, usually, sometimes by land, but on boat, he's made it from one island to another island to another island, and each of them about a day's worth of travel. Now, parents, if you have a college student or a teenager and they're driving all day from here to Virginia, how many of you want a phone call when they get there? Yeah, parents do, right? Parents do. Because even though, even though it is probable that they are safe, you know your kid, even though it is probable that they are safe, you have to have that confirmation, you want to know that God has been faithful in providing a safe travel, a safe journey for them to get from point A to point B. And here in these travel itineraries, see all of these locations. Sea travel in this day was not particularly smooth, right? It was dangerous. People could actually die. Scurvy hadn't been discerned yet. It hadn't been given the name scurvy, and you didn't know if you had enough food on the boat. And if you ran out of food on an ancient boat, you don't have a walkie-talkie to say, come get us. So all of these travel, this travel itinerary of all of these destinations, second thing it does is it shows us God's faithfulness in protecting and preserving the ones that he has called. All right? Here's the third thing, final thing, third and final thing. Imagine you are a generation removed from Luke or the writing. Or imagine you are uh, your Theophilus receiving the letter. 
and all, all, it contains this whole, this whole history of everything that has happened. And Luke says, by the way, Paul visited Troas. He visited all of these other locations. He visited Berea. He visited Thessalonica. He visited Derby. He visited this place. And in your mind, you might actually know people who were there. You might be able to find your history your heritage in the location that Luke is talking about. And in fact, that's what we find in this first section. In the first section, we see some names that might be familiar, or they might be familiar because we've seen them before. So I'm going to read this again, and we're going to see time has passed, God has been faithful, and people heard the gospel. When he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, Berea. You guys remember Berea? Right before Thessalonica? Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, right next to that, Aristarchus and Secundus, they joined the journey. And Gaius, from the place of Derby, And Timothy, he was there too. He joined the journey. And from Asia, that whole big continent where Paul spent so much time, Tychicus and Trophimus, all of these people, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Luke brings in us because he was staying at Philippi. And Paul returned to Philippi just to, get to, just to get Luke, probably to encourage others as well. And Luke joins the journey again, and he says, all of these people, all of these people from all of these locations all over the world, everywhere that Paul has been, and they've heard the good news of what Jesus has done, all of these people have joined the journey, and they're waiting for us at Troas. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to the metro as where we stayed for seven days. You've got a group of Paul's most trusted companions. It's impressive, actually, that he's able to trust some of these people as quickly as he has, given that he runs from city to city and town to town as quickly as he does. But he has a best friend or a good friend for a year or for six months or for two years at times. And he sends them to another place. Hey, I trust you now. You're a great friend. I want to send you off into ministry. And now they've all gathered together in a place in Troas where they stay for seven days. And after the week ends and the new week begins, the day of the Lord's resurrection, on the first day of the week, all of these most trusted disciples were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. It's almost as though Paul, like dinner is set, right? They've all gathered together and dinner is set and we're waiting, we're waiting to eat food. But Paul's still talking. And Paul continues to talk. And Paul continues to talk and your stomach is starting to get a little grumbly and the sun has gone down so we've lit all the, all the lanterns and now we can see but the heat from the lanterns is making it kind of warm and a little bit stuffy in here. And Paul continues to talk. 
and you're hungry, dinner's long past, you're at that stage now where your stomach says, okay, I'm in starvation mode, I'm not actually hungry anymore, I'll just listen to this. And there's a young man named Eutychus. And Eutychus decides, it's hard to listen to Paul, not because he's a bad speaker necessarily, but because it's late, I'm past my bedtime, I should have already had my first sleep by now, I should have had dinner before that. And so Paul, or Eutychus rather, climbs over to the window where there's a nice spring breeze blowing through. And what he thought would sort of wake him up just sort of calms and soothes him a little bit more. And so Paul continues to talk until the middle of the night and hungry and warm and drowsy Eutychus falls out of the window. It was the third story the third story up, while Paul is up here in this upper chamber with his most trusted friends, and Eutychus falls to the ground, and that's devastating. Can you imagine being the mother or the father of this teenager who was trying to listen, and Paul just would not stop, and now he's fallen to the ground from the third story? The entire house gets up and they rush downstairs to see what's happened. And they see Eutychus lying dead on the ground. Luke, a physician, an excellent doctor, is able to confirm that this man has died. Perhaps our minds or our eyes are sort of blunted to it with all of the action movies that we watch and we see people, we see superheroes get thrown across a building and land on the ground and they just get up and dust themselves off. But perhaps, perhaps you've fallen. Perhaps you've fallen from a ladder. Perhaps you've never recovered. And you know what three stories could do to a human body. Eutychus had died. But Paul, he bends down over the body and lifting the body up, he says, his life is still in him. His life is still in him. And they carry Eutychus back up the stairs. They break bread together, Paul blessing the meal most likely. And they eat food together as a group of close-knit friends. And Paul continues to talk until daybreak teaching about Jesus. Now, first of all, isn't it kind of remarkable that Paul, that Paul could begin speaking at the dinner time, move until midnight, have a catastrophe happen, but for him still, and not just him, but for everybody who stayed around, for everybody to still believe that teaching, that talking about the Word of God was more significant than their sleep, than their meal than what they needed to do the next day, the start of the week, than what, the anything that needed to, needed to be accomplished or needed to happen. And these are people, not just people who are hearing the gospel for the first time, who have never read the Bible before. This is a group of people who have grown up, perhaps, reading stories about God or hearing stories about God, who have been discipled in the way, who, in fact, are leaders in the churches where they're at, a group of pastors, and all together, they decide it's still more important that we hear more about God for just a couple more hours so that we can understand what God has done and continues to do through us and through the world than it is for me to go home. 
Paul's leaving soon, and he, they decide to take the entire time, as much as possible, to proclaim the word of God. And I tell you, if you've grown up in church, if you've heard every story, if you know everything that happens in the Bible, there is still more for you to understand. God is infinite. He has no limit. And so the deeper you go into God, into understanding who he is and what he has done, only the more there is to explore. It's like you're... It's like we want to stay inside a building and say, look, there's things about God over here, there's things about God over here, there's things about God over here, and the door opens, and you say, yeah, but there's a world out there. You spent all your time so far only looking at the building, only looking at the rooms inside, and if you just open the doors, you can see the trees and the flowers and the birds and the grass and all of them crying out the name of the Lord our God. There is no end. There is no limit to understanding God because he is limitless, unbound by space, unbound by time, unbound by knowledge of human minds. And so, proclaiming the word, they bring Eutychus back up stairs. And when Paul leaves at daybreak, at dawn, everybody's encouraged. They've heard God's word, and guess what? God's word has brought life. The word of Christ has brought life. We've seen the word condemn people before. We've seen when Stephen preached to the people. And when they didn't listen, they, were, they killed Stephen. And they brought judgment upon themselves. But here, here, the word of Christ brings life, not death. Those who open their ears and open their hearts to what God is saying will experience life, and not just physical life, but true life, everlasting and eternal life. Paul leaves them, and he continues on his journey, and he goes to several other locations, again, places that we don't recognize. And he moves through them all, and he goes past Ephesus, probably because he's not allowed back in there, and he lands on another island. And after he disembarks, he sends word to those in Ephesus, where he spent a couple of years. And he says, I want you to come and see me. I'm going back to Jerusalem. I can't go back to Ephesus, but I need you to come and see me because I have some final words to say to you. I have some final things I need to, to tell you about as I, as I go to what is sure to be my death. And so the Ephesian elders, they all gather together and they get on a boat and they sail across the sea just a short little way so that they can meet Paul. And when they do, he gathers them all together, and he tells them, these are my final words. I don't know what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. I just know that everywhere I go, every stop, every city I make a stop in, every place I end up in, the Holy Spirit tells me death, torture, suffering, pain, all of that awaits me. I am going to go to Jerusalem and then I want to go to Rome, but I'm never going to see you again. And so, he tells the Ephesian elders, you saw what I did among you. How I lived among you, 
how I worked alongside of you. And you spent time with me, and you know that everything I ever did, all I ever sought to do was to teach and to proclaim the entire counsel of God, everything that he has taught us, everything that he has told us that we should know about him and what he has done, that's all I've concerned myself with. So, as I go, I want you to know this thing. First, be alert, beware. Because even though I've taught you what is true, even though I've taught you as God has taught me, even though I have showed you what Jesus has done, there's going to be some among you. Some of them are going to come from outside. Some of them are going to be probably right here in our midst right now. They're not sheep. They're not tender. They're not kind. They don't obey the voice of the shepherd. One day they're going to shed their cloak and you're going to see that they're wolves. You see, I taught you to look to the blood of Jesus because through death, God has brought life. God has brought life from the cross, from the grave, from the blood and the gore. But there are wolves among you who don't trust the blood of Jesus. They think they need the blood of you. So be alert. Take care. And take care of yourself. Not in look out for yourself, but make sure that you aren't that one. Have you heard the word of God? Here's a way to tell. The word of God brings life from death. We saw it with Eutychus. The word of Christ brings life from death. If you look around you and you are upset at the broken relationships that surround you, broken relationship here, broken relationship there, broken relationship over there, broken relationship in my past, broken everything, There's two things to know. The first one's scary, but stay for the second. There's one common denominator. It's you. But the word of Christ brings life from death. And here's the hope. It's not just that the word of Christ brings life from death for those who hear and haven't hurt anybody yet. The word of Christ brings life from death for those who hear, who fall out the window and die, and who decide, who hear the word of God, who hear his voice calling to them and say, get up and rise. His life is in him because his life is in Christ. The resurrection and the life, the true life who brings life to every man who believes in him. You may have broken relationships around you because you've been out for blood. All you do, all you must do now is look to the blood of Christ because he promises to bring you life. Do not settle. Do not stop too soon. It's almost like that song, except the song says nothing about Jesus. If you're going through hell, keep on walking. 
if you're in a state of death, you aren't at the end yet because Christ promises life. So hear the word of God. and Let it come to you. Turn away from your sin and turn to life. Life through Christ. Because there is hope. There is hope for you and there is hope for everyone that you have hurt. There is hope for all who hear the word of Christ and believe. And here's what Paul promises. Behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day. I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, guardians, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that with three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Did you notice that there is no mention of God's judgment? There's no mention of condemnation from God's word. There's no mention of remaining in death and a state of despair. But what did we see? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give grace. 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 In fact, Jesus' own words, it's more blessed to give grace. Grace. You may be at a place in your life where all you feel is condemnation. Can I tell you, Condemnation rests over your head, but there's one way out. Grace. Because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. The Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that he might save the world through him. God has promised you life. And he has promised that the word of Christ brings life from death. And it may be that you don't experience the physical ramifications of that here and now. But Paul tells us the Holy Spirit is faithful to build you up. Holy Spirit will continue his work, and when the end comes, then you will know what true life is. As Jesus told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in him. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.